Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hi, I'm Carrie Lucas, the Managing Director of the Independent Women's Forum. Welcome to the latest edition of the Working for Women podcast. I'm very happy to be joined today by IWF Senior Fellow, Patricia Anwuka, and we are going to talk about a little bit about technology and the issue of increased automation. You know, Patrice, I tend to be a big fan of technological progress. I'm 43, and in my lifetime, I've seen the personal computer go from a rarity in a family home to something that you know, everybody's appearing the equivalent of in their pockets. You know, our new ability to communicate and connect has created new work paradigms and allowed us to be in touch in ways that you know, previously were impossible. And when I hear about increased automation, like the creation of things like self-driving cars and delivery systems, I tend to think about the upside, you know, the ability to bring down costs of goods and open more doors for people elsewhere. But, you know, I know there's also, um, you know, there's some downsides too, but first I want to start off and if you can tell us a little bit more about some of the benefits that people should expect from automa- automation and then what's, what's on the horizon, you know, what are we, what are we talking about here with, um, with this, this new next wave of technology? Sure. Well, yeah, Carrie, I totally agree with you. I was right there when we, when my family bought our first um, home computer. Before then, I'd, I remember computers being the size of a massive room um, <laughs> that, that made all of this sound. We'd go to the computer room, and it was like the biggest thing in the world. Now I carry one in my pocket. And, and I think about our kids, you know, they'll probably have holograms. That, that's probably what yeah. the next phase of, of technology will deliver. Um, but I, I love how it, our world is becoming more like the Jetsons, if you remember that that, um, that cartoon yeah, from the course. 80s, where, yeah, it makes life easier in so many ways. I mean, you talked about lowering costs. Um, you know, when, when you think about just getting around from a meeting uh, downtown to your office, you know, I tend to Uber there, and that's just, you know, someone with a car, you know, get, picking me up, and, and we do a wire up. A, a, cashless transactions through our smartphones and I get dropped off safely and we're good. Um, you know, when it comes to providing opportunity, so on the other end, the driver, they've just made some money. And there are lots of people who are now able to have flexible employment opportunities because of technology. Um, there are people who are making, uh, you know, families who are making earnings you, just by renting out a room in their home. We talk about home sharing or, or room sharing, so to speak, you know, and that just allows you to, to put your spare bedroom, even your entire house on a website to let a perfect stranger borrow it and they pay you for that. You know, that person probably saves more than if they stayed at a regular hotel, you know, and you as a family, you can be pulling down something like $8,000 on average um, working through a website like Airbnb. So that's a tremendous amount of opportunity and, and earnings right there just for typical Americans. You know, and, and I especially love that technology is offer, offering opportunity to those who have criminal records, people who have been locked out of every other types of jobs because, you know, they made a mistake in their past. Now, all of a sudden, you know, their, their different task rapid is allowing you to offer your services as a handyman, for example, and you negotiate your price, you negotiate your times, and that flexibility is there, but now you have opportunity. So, you know, you've got cost, you've got opportunity, and then, um, you know, Safety is, is really an interesting piece of it. You know, we because of things like ride-sharing companies or, or Uber and Lyft, in cities like um, like Seattle and, and Las Vegas, they've been, they've seen an, a decrease in the amount of drunk driving um, that's that's happening. So people no longer you don't have to have a designated driver if you're going out on a Saturday night with a bunch of friends. Now there's an Uber driver or a Lyft driver who will take you where you want to go and back, and and that is increasing the the number of um, 
uh, fatalities or accidents as a, cause, as a result of people who are drinking and, and inebriated. So that's, that's great. These are some of the, the, yeah. the sundry benefits. And, and it tells us, I think there's a psychological benefit too. It's saying that you don't have to have a four-year degree to have a good idea that you can take to the marketplace and use technology to solve a basic problem. That's what the, that's what the free market system does, and technology is just facilitating that. Yeah, let's see. You know, that is, for so much of this stuff is just amazing, and, and there's so many. Um, you think about the, the types of um, you know, when, when I was a kid, we would go to a, a yard sale. Well, now, you know, if I want something, you know, I've, I've been uh, looking for for some furniture. So I just bought a um, bought a house and have a bunch of kids that I need need things for. And it's amazing. You can find stuff. Um, you know, I'm hooked up with people across the state and any, pretty much anywhere I want um, to be able to find the largest garage sale and to buy used things. And, Somebody else's trash can be my treasure. It, it really is amazing. But I think, you know, but then there's a lot of people who, when we, we hear about some of this stuff, and you hear about the end of the next wave of what might be coming, the driverless cars that are going to be taking, um, that are going to replace trucks and are going to be moving all the goods and, goods around the country. And that sounds a little bit scary, particularly if you're in somebody in a, the trucking industry. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, what are the, what are the concerns um, when it comes to this kind of the, the destruction part of this creative process? <laughs> I love your term there, creative destruction. <laughs> that, that's exactly yeah. right. Um, you know, uh, so technology, it, you know, part of it is that because it becomes, it makes processes more efficient, um, that, that does mean that, that something gets lost, and, and in some instances it will be jobs. So you talked about trucking. I mean, there, there's, according to the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there are about 1.8 million um, truck drivers in the country right now. Uh, and, and that could be at risk over the next probably 10 years, maybe five, as we're seeing companies like Uber start to test um, automated trucks or, or driverless trucks. They literally just developed um, the first cargo of 50,000 cans of Budweiser beer uh, in a truck that had no driver. So it, it's wow. a cool story. But it also tells us that, you know, if you're in the trucking industry, there may come a time where your, your, your role will be eliminated. Now, I, I don't want to scare folks yet. I mean, I, I don't think this technology is going to hit us within the next five years, um, you know, in a widespread mass way. But I do think in the next 10 to 20 years, industries like trucking, like transportation are going to fundamentally be disrupted. Um, we, we talk about Uber and Lyft. That's just, that's just stage phase one. I mean, phase two and phase three they are, are cars that are not just driverless, but then you also have cars that are, um, that are flying cars. You know, but even with driverless cars, the technology is in some of our vehicles right now. I, I have, my car has, um, has warning signals that go off every time I move lanes without using my turn signal. That's a part of driverless technology. And I think it's going to be inserted slow and slowly into, you know, our day-to-day lives. But then it does mean that for those people who rely on those means to make money, um, to, to, to provide for themselves, that they're going to have to, to find new ways of doing it. Now, interestingly, um, you know, some companies who, who are innovating in this way, they're saying, well, you know what, part of, part of having a driver in a car is, is that you get the experience of, um, is the experience itself. You know, it's that driver who you're, you're talking to them, you're, you're engaging with them, and that may not disappear. But I do think we are going to see some fundamental shifts. Now, shifts create opportunities in other areas. 
so, you know, it may not be that we need drivers in our cars in 20 or 30 years from now, but we're still going to need people. There's still going to be opportunities that are created out of that. You're going to need people who understand the technology and can fix it when it's broken. Um, you may yeah. need uh, voices. Uh, you know, uh, we have Siri in our, our, our Apple phones. Maybe there are going to be lots of voices that will also replace, um, be able to speak to us in our cars. Those are people who are able to, to program those voices in there. I mean, I think there are going to be new ways and new industries that pop up that we certainly didn't envision. I, I don't think 30 yeah. years ago we envisioned um, even something like the sharing economy and ride sharing and, and home sharing. So things will be created, but yes, yeah, some things will be, some, some positions will be eliminated. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I know that you're know, the classic, the buggy, bu- um, buggy whip uh, maker is being put out of business by, by cars. And then, of course, you know, but then cars, car manufacturers came in and created, you know, way more jobs than they ended up destroying and created almost a, a new a new industry. And you can see that kind of in the same way with, with computers. You might have thought computers were also going to come replace a bunch of jobs, um, and I'm sure that they, they did, um, but then created this whole new, you know, the, you think about everyone who's being employed by the, um, by, by the Internet and by the kind of the stores and the, the um, uh, services that are now Internet-based here, you know, I think that um, you know, people couldn't have imagined what was coming next. Um, but there is kind of a feeling that this might be different. You know, you go into a grocery store now um, and you have all these places where you can um, check out by yourself or you go into, you know, I'm a, a Sam's member um, and I've got an app so that as I walk through the store, I can I click on uh, my phone and I'm able to check all of my, my products anything I'm putting in my car and I check out and then I just hit something on my smartphone and somebody, there's somebody at the door who keeps me honest and makes sure that I have about the same um, number of, of um, the things in my cart that I had written on my iPhone. Um, but it takes, you know, it's sure not the same as somebody having to drag everything out of the cart and scan it in. And there is something where this automation, you can imagine that the things like the, the stores um, that we're going to have changed um, across there too. And that a lot of these, um, these jobs, these kind of lower skilled jobs, um, might be might be disappearing. So, um, you know, what do you think about that? Do you think this is something that um, will there be places for or ways for those people to find new employment, or what, what kind of policies do you think government can put in put in place to to um, help those people? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think Amazon's new store, Amazon Co., I believe it's called. Um, that opened last year, they're test marketing it, is a great example of what you're talking about, but even at an elevated pace where there are no, there isn't even someone to check your, your, your checklist versus what's in your car carry. I mean, this store literally has sensors that does everything. So it tells what you've picked up, what you've put in your cart, and it automatically then tabulates that and sends it to your Amazon account, and it checks there's a cashless transaction, and you, wow. you literally just walk in and walk out. That's probably where we're going, which means that, you know, you don't need managers, you don't need baggers, you don't need checkout cashiers. Um, those are the types of low-skilled jobs that we're going to start to see disappear. And even middle-skilled, you know, management-level jobs that will also disappear. So it's coming. The question is, what do we do about it? And I think the wrong reaction that we start to see with, with um, lawmakers is, okay, let's regulate, let's stop this so that we can you know, protect jobs in the, in the short term. But short-term policies are exactly what will speed up this process. So, for example, um, you know, the, the wrong approach at a federal level would be to, you know, to, to put some regulations on what types of, of technology and automated technology can exist so that it doesn't replace drivers or it doesn't replace cashiers. No, technology and innovation, what's great about the, the freedom to create is, is that it, it, it makes it, the, the process much better and the products and services that we rely on better. 
Now, what we, what we should be doing is thinking, what are the types of jobs that would not be replaced um, by a robot or by a sensor or by technology? And, and, and we have a clue. When we look at jobs that require um, creativity, jobs that require um, human intuition and intellect, the jobs that require you to think in the moment, um, the jobs that require a, a personal touch, those are the things that's harder for a robot to replace. Um, so, for example, if you're a writer and a blogger and a high school student, if you're interested in writing, well, now is a great time for you to start developing your own blog. That's something that you can carry with you. And, and, and your ability to reason and analyze numbers and statistics and data, providing policy context to it, and then making it fun and quirky by tying in a pop culture reference, that's something that a computer simply can't replicate. <laughs> And, and so I, I think when we talk about policy, we need, and, and we, we talk about things like higher education reform or even K-12 through education reform, we talk a lot about competition and choice. And part of that looks like offering to students the choice of what it, would, of what it takes to get to where they want to go to and the types of opportunities that are going to be around. But, you know, showing them that, yeah, it, you know, it, it's, it's fine to work in retail, but let's be realistic. They, we may not need a, 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 someone to, to be a cashier for the rest of their lives. That's, that's probably not personally very fulfilling for uh, your whole life, but also we, can see, we may see that disappear. So maybe what, what, what is it about retail that's interesting to you? Is it the business aspect? Well, you know, getting you into a management program could be helpful. If it's the design aspect of the clothes, well, yeah, we're going to need fashion designers. Those are, those are the types of skills and jobs that I think we want to start um, being creative about pushing our, our students to. Um, you know, I, I like to go on a little diatribe, sorry, about, you know, just the, the traditional four-year college degree being the, the, the way to the path to success. You know, our technology has disrupted that. You don't have to wait or go to a four-year college to be successful. You can do that with a computer right at home, but it requires you tapping into your skills and your intellect and your ability. And let's not take off the, the plate, you know, trades and vocations, all of those jobs that require the hands-on touch, your ability to be a florist and put together a floral arrangement. Those are things that I don't see disappearing in the near future. But we've got to be broader from a policy perspective about ensuring that young people have choice and, and, and understand what are the, where are the jobs in the future and, and, what they, and, and what it takes to get you those. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that education reform so often comes up um, because I do think you're, you're right that this, there's kind of this model of, of going to school for from the time you're, um, you know, a little kid to your early 20s and going to get a college degree or something. Um, that is, you know, I feel like we, instead we need to start thinking about this more as a process and that, you know, a lot of what you're learning for a four-year college degree isn't, isn't terribly useful anymore. And a lot of that, that money and those resources, it might be much better to kind of spread that out over time and make sure we're, we're learning skills today, but then have some kind of educational resources in the bank so that, um, you know, 20 years down the road when, when I, you know, I'm all out of date and don't know how to work the latest computers or whatever or whatever the newest gadget is, um, to be able to have kind of, um, be able to use that for, to develop new skills and kind of make sure we have a lifetime learning process. But, you know, I know one thing we've also talked about is how government has made it, you know, unnecessarily expensive um, to hire people. You know, that some of these, the push for automation is actually a result of policies that are making it awfully expensive to hire that, that guy to work the checkout counter um, or to um, drive the car. If you have a little bit about something that the government can do to, to kind of um, make it easier for, for people to find employment by, by um, making them less expensive. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a great example is the, the 15 for 15 campaign that swept the nation last year, you know, pushing um, unions and, and activists pushing for $15 minimum wages at the state level in every state. You know, it, 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 it's from a good place of wanting to see everyone have, you know, a bigger paycheck. But that speeds up automation, um, particularly because it targets areas like fast food retail, um, even hospitality in some instances. Um, you know, these are industries that have low-skill, uh, low-wage jobs. And, you know, it sounds good to give those those workers, you know, a, a bigger paycheck. But, you know, it has some unintended consequences. You know, we, we've talked about that before where it comes to, you know, loss of jobs, cut hours and things like that, even close businesses and restaurants closing. But then it's also in the longer term. Well, a, a restaurant owner may say, you know, instead of dealing with a $15 minimum wage, that's going to increase all of his staff's costs and, and his, um, his, his paycheck, his payroll, it costs across the board. He may say, you know what, why not invest in some automation? Let, let's just invest in a kiosk at every table, let people put their orders in, it goes right to the, kit, the, the kitchen staff, they take care of it, and maybe there's a conveyor belt that brings the food back out, or maybe, you know, the customer goes and picks it up at, off of the counter. And that could eliminate busser, table bussers. It could eliminate um, waiters and waitresses. It eliminates, you know, lots of need for different staff. And, and so automation, you know, when you talk about policies, particularly at the state level, even the federal level, they have impacts. And things like, like you know, minimum wage increases are a great example of how it, it makes it the cost of a, a, an employee more expensive. And it makes it more, from a long-term perspective, it makes sense to want to get into automation uh, and, and to see that. So, you know, we have to think through, okay, it may sound good in the short term, but what is the long-term impact of increasing the cost of hiring folks? That's short term. But in the, in the long term, we have to think, how do we prepare our workforce for the coming changes? Maybe we're talking about helping, to, helping people to be retooled with the skills that they need for future opportunities. Maybe it's, you know, ensuring that if someone wants to get into a vocation, or a trade, or an occupation that um, that that is not going to disappear. You know, become a florist, become a, a hairdresser, become open your own barber shop, become a you know a, an EMT or a first responder. Making sure that it's not hard to do that. And we we talk about occupational licensing reform. Sounds really big and, and wonky, but all it means is that we're making it less costly for someone to pursue the skills and the certifications needed to get into different jobs. We've seen um, the, the, the level of the, the hurdles that it takes to, to pursue these industries increase over the years. Uh, and it's costly. It takes time. And for many families and, and, you know, struggling poor workers, they don't have the time or the money to go and pursue those certifications. Very often, the, the requirements are very arbitrary themselves. You know, you, you don't need as many hours of instruction for something that you're not doing. So if we can reform the, uh, the, the requirements at the, the state level and the, at the state level, we can start to give people options and choice in the economy. So that if their work, if their job disappears as a cashier or as a, as a waitress and a waiter, hey, maybe they can pursue something as a florist. Maybe they can open up their own business. Uh, I, I think, and at the federal level, of course, scaling back regulations overall is a great way to ensure that businesses can continue to expand and grow in the future. Yeah. Well, Patrice, thank you so much. This has been a really interesting issue and a topic that I haven't heard enough about. And yes, everybody out there who's listened to this podcast, I really thank you for your time. For more podcasts like this and other information, please come visit the Independent Women's Forum at IWF.org, where all issues are women's issues. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, 
please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.